and welcome to the Rogue Podcast with Fox and Maya. This episode is the second part of our interview with EM that you got to hear the start of in the previous episode. If you haven't listened to that yet, I strongly recommend to go and listen to that first, otherwise this episode might not make as much sense. Hi everybody, you're listening to the Rock Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to episode zero before attempting it. Find her at the top of our Fat Life page, Rope Podcast No Space. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We're rope partners. We've been practicing together for a couple of years now, and we're very excited to share our passion for rope with you from our beautiful home in Thailand. Yes, we are, and today we're very pleased to have an interview with Ian. So if, if someone wanted to uh, venture into the same type of play that you do that is um, more risky, how would you advise they go about building their skills and experience to do that? Uh, well, the most important thing I would say is that I didn't start out. Uh, I had no interest in cutting somebody, no interest in using needles on somebody, no interest in choking them unconscious. Uh, I started with the whole... I want to tie them down and fuck them and spank them with this flogger that I made based out of things I bought at Goodwill uh, before I got involved in the community, just like everybody else did. And I, in the course of getting well-practiced with rope and then getting to the point where people were starting to ask me to come teach in, teach in places, I turned that down everywhere for about a year because I didn't feel remotely ready to be teaching people. Um... But uh, in the course of traveling to all these various shibari cons and frolic con and beyond leather and uh, winter wickedness and all these places around the country, uh, whether I was paying to go to a convention with my partner at first or later maybe coming back to the same convention to teach, uh, you see a lot of really fun, edgy stuff. And you start to tie with people who are really into rope. But, hey, guess what? They're also really into needle play or they're really into breath play or they're really into, you know, uh, scarification and cutting, so they're really into electrical play. Uh, and so from there, I got exposed to a lot of different people doing a lot of different kinks. I started to realize that, you know, I kind of like the idea of pushing a button uh, on this East End box and making them scream without actually having to tighten a piece of rope or smack them with something. Uh, hell, you can just stand back, hit the on button, and watch them cook. It's kind of really fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, most of the things that I've gotten into, it's been a gradual progression. And I started playing with somebody who was into that and was like, well, I will definitely explore that with you. And then maybe two or three months later, I would be at some convention and run into a top who was really experienced in doing it. And I could learn more about how to do it. Uh, I, when I was learning rope, there was nobody in the state of Tennessee who, could, who, was, willing, who was anywhere near ready to be teaching Japanese rope of any kind. So I went to Shibari Khan, and then shortly thereafter, I flew to California and spent a weekend learning from somebody. You know, that was about a $1,500 trip, including the tuition, and it was worth every penny. Mm -hmm. um, if, if I can't find the knowledge, and I know it's something I want to do, I'm going to figure out how to go get it. And uh, I, think, I think being willing to travel and spend money and invest your time to learn to do something safely is the most important aspect, particularly as things get edgier. Mm. Uh, has it ever happened to you that you tried to go too fast in experimenting with a new dangerous thing and you ended up hurting somebody in a way you didn't want to? 
to be honest, the most the most encouraging thing I can say is that right now I'm sure that's happened, but right now I cannot think of an example I could give you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I've had, you know, close calls here and there, uh, and I, I've, I've inflicted nerve injuries a couple of times learning rope with people. Thankfully, nothing that lasted more than a few days I can think of. Um, but uh, uh, let's see. There have been a couple of times that I've scarred somebody with a cutting or with a whip that I didn't mean to, but we had negotiated ahead of time. The goal is not to scar, but we want to play very heavily, so the risk of scarring is high. And then, of course, over time with your whip or with your uh, cutting, you gain a better understanding of how the skin behaves and how the whip behaves and how the scalpel cuts. and uh, You get to the point where you can be much more precise, and the risk of you know, scarring when you're breaking somebody's skin is never zero. Yep. Just like the risk of dropping somebody's, uh, or in, in the risk of damaging somebody's nerve or uh, causing them to pass out or something with rope, if you do really intense things, is never zero. Yep. Over time, as you get better, the odds of it happening to you reduce dramatically. But, you know, it's entirely possible that the two of you could tie tomorrow and cause a risk to injure, you know, an injury to sure. a nerve. And, of course, over time, you learn how to spot the things far enough ahead of time. For example, like, if a rope's on a nerve now, the two of you probably know it well enough to immediately adjust, and there might just be a minute or two of, like, kind of funky numbness, and then, boom, it's back, and it's perfect, and you can keep going. Uh, at first, if you did the same thing, you wouldn't know what how to react to this information. You wouldn't know how to communicate it to each other. Uh, you wouldn't notice it until, of course, it was too late, and then there's nerve injury. And next time, that doesn't happen. Um, the ideal, of course, is to find good enough education about nerve injuries in rope or about scarification, cuttings, or what have you, that you never actually have the injury in the first place. But I have yet to meet a very experienced rope on that has never, ever had a nerve injury. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, slightly different area. You, you talk about highlighting the beauty of the female form by suffering and strain, and obviously you do a lot of uh, photography uh, mm-hmm. work. So how does that work for you? How, what do you look for in a scene to, to okay. highlight the female form in, in that way? Well, I would say the biggest thing I do differently than a lot of people is I hate doing photo shoots. Okay. Yeah, that seems <laughs> uh, counterintuitive given your FET profile. So tell us more about that. Well, if you look at most of the photos that I have up, unless they were shot by somebody else, it's a photo I captured during a scene. Not a, uh, I threw some rope on somebody, got in this graceful backbend, and then told them, look toward the light, put your chin up a little bit, no, look to the right, to the right, there, and took the photo. Mm-hmm. And then took them down out of rope. That, that to me, is a photo shoot. Yep. Uh, what I've worked very hard to accomplish is I use very cheap Chinese speed lights in rather small soft boxes. My, my camera's very nice. It's a high-end, uh, it's a, well, it was a high-end few years ago. It's a Canon 5D Mark III. Um, I, I love my camera, um, but uh, the camera's very nice. The lights are very cheap, small, and disposable and expendable Chinese-made stuff. They're not some high-end uh, equipment. You know, I use, like, Yongnuo flat, uh, strobe lights, or uh, speed lights, excuse me, and a little cheap uh, $30 radio trigger to trigger them from the, from the camera. Everything's all manual. It's all very, you know, very crude and primitive, but my lights are, like, 40 bucks a piece if I... Also one up on top of a hard point to get light from above and it falls down and shatters. I really don't care. I'm just going to go buy another one. Um, but I know them very well. I know that I can set 
the lights to these settings and set the camera to this aperture, shutter speed, and ISO. And within two or three frames, I can have the image I want. So I know I'm very, very fast. I normally take a dozen frames or less. When I take a photo that I, if I do a tie or I do some kind of scene and I post a photo in FET, I probably took between six and 20 photos at the most, in most cases, because I'm playing with somebody, I've got this beautiful position that I wasn't expecting, or maybe I was expecting, um, or their like, back is arched in pain and can barely breathe because this rope's compressing their rib cage, and I've got this wonderful energy flowing at me, and I want to capture that. So I want to be able to, my lights will all be out on the stand, so I just turn them on, flick this one to that, that, flick this one to that, grab the camera, click, 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 bang, I've got the photo, set it down to go back to playing. Okay, so can can you give us an example of a recent scene where that's happened? So kind of ground it in an example for people so they can get a feel for what that looks like. Perfect, actually. Um, if you look at the newest pro photo on my FetLife profile, and of course I'm saying this on, uh, let's see, what is it, September 19th? Okay, I will find that and I'll link to it in the show notes. Okay, yeah, do that. Um, She's just, you know, she's on her knees, and it's, well, it's got Japanese rope in it, but it's more of a torture predicament, and I can imagine that, right? Uh, a hood that's got an open mouth with a big white ball gag in it, and she's on her knees, and there's very fine twine tying both her nipples up to the pole above her mm. chest to keep her up and presented for the whipping she was taking. That's and very I, beautiful. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, for our dear listeners, your profile of that is dash EM dash. And... Yes, also, uh, in, quick interruption, sorry. But I get told all the time that I'm impossible to find on FetLife, and that's because most people don't know how to use FetLife. Don't search for somebody's username. It takes forever. Go to FetLife.com slash whatever their username is, typed out perfectly, and it will take you directly to the profile. Oh, I did not know that. Yep, FetLife.com slash hyphen E-M hyphen will take you right to my profile. Cool. Okay, well. Yeah, nice little, neat little shorthand trick on your cell phone. Okay, so you're so you're doing this scene uh, with your your play partner. How did you know? Or how did you decide at what point to take a photo? What what inspired you at that moment? Okay, well, the girl I was playing with very much likes emotional. Is she's very much an emotional masochist, and she likes being emotionally abused and be, being told she's a very pretty little redhead. Uh, being told that she's you know suffering horror, you know that that uh, she's ugly and hideous and you know this kind of stuff. Uh, she very much likes being emotionally less than. And uh, so I left her. I, I played with her with a whip until she was broken and crying and, you know, doing her little like, kind of the little sniffles that you do after the cry is starting to fade out. Uh, and at that point was when I decided to take the photo. And one of the big things I did, because she strapped down to this wonderful bench from the Bound One company in the photo, uh, one of the things I did was to drag the bench around to position it between the lights instead of move the lights around her. So she basically feels like a piece of luggage at the moment. Mm. Mm. It's you know, so I, I I got ready to take the photos like I need this light to be more from the side and less directly in her face. So I simply rotated the uh, the bench around and then positioned myself accordingly to get the light that I wanted. So in that way you're then, making the photo part of the scene. Yes, very much so. Uh, I very much uh, like uh, using the camera as an objectifying or degrading or humiliating tool. Mm, you know, somebody who hates somebody who makes eye, who who hates eye contact, make them look the lens in the eye while you take pictures of them. 
that does wonderfully horrible things to their psyche. Pro tip, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, shout out to my buddy uh, Dom with Lens on FetLife. He uh, is one of the best guys I've seen at that. And I would say I picked up a few tips and tricks about when and how to apply that just from looking through his photos when I first started to see him pop up on Fet. Uh, we've since become pretty good friends, and we both really like mixing leather and degradation and gags into our Japanese rope scenes, so to speak. Um, so we have components of our play, I would say, that are very similar. And I admire the hell out of him, and he's one of the best photographers I know. But uh, he does the same thing. Uh, he, you know, If you're going to pick the camera up, it's going to affect the scene. You have to accept that. You can't get around that. Uh, even if you know you do it silently and they don't know you're there, you're still not grabbing them, touching them, petting them, doing whatever it is you're doing. Um, so the trick is to embrace that and figure out how to make it part of the scene and use it to make things more intense, as opposed to be like, okay, we're having, we have this beautiful central rope connection. All right, stay right there. I'm going to take a photo, and then we're going to pick up and keep time. I, I think approach A works much better than approach B. Mm. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really love making this rope podcast and sharing it with you. Sadly, hosting a podcast isn't free, far from it actually. So if you like this podcast and you want to support us, you can do so at ropepodcast.com. You'll find ways to buy rope stuff so that we get a cut from your purchases and also ways to donate to us directly. And if you can't afford to do that, that's okay too. Just enjoy the podcast. Now back to our normal programming. Uh, you've shared in the past that you think tops should take bottoming classes to get better at rope uh, and maybe other things also. What kind of things do you think they stand to benefit from going to a bottoming class? Oh, that's very easy. Um, unless you are a monogamous couple who never ties with anyone else, which uh, these days is not the norm. They might be anonymous, but they probably tie with other people at least once or twice a year, if not far more than that. Um, but if, if you end up tying other people besides your primary partner, at some point, you will be a brand new rope bottom's first exposure to rope. They've never been in rope before. They have no education. Guess what? You are now their bottoming class. Mm. So you, in my opinion, need to be able to kind of guide them through uh, negotiating what they are, what they are and aren't okay with, and you have a moral obligation, in my opinion, to be extremely conservative at this point because oh, you have yeah. somebody who does not know how to protect themselves with proper negotiation. Uh, so you can be that asshole who goes too far and says and goes like, "Oh, well, they didn't say sexual play was off limits, so as soon as I tie her up, I've cut her pants off." Whatever. Um, I'm sure there are guys. I know there are guys like that. Hopefully, they're not welcome in the scene anywhere they have. Mm, yeah. But uh, in my opinion, you have a moral obligation to... Uh, uh, the big thing, here's the big thing I will say as a top. I don't, don't really want to go like into bottom education from the top six, because this would be just ansplainy as fuck. <laughs> but um, the, what I tell people to do, basically, if they're new rope bottoms and I'm talking to them, is uh, first thing I do is introduce the concept of inclusive negotiation. Mm. New people inherently want to go, well, these are the things you can't do. Well, I guarantee you forgot one. Yeah, So it is far better to go, these are the four things that you can do with me in this scene. 
Yeah, we just yeah, actually sure. recorded um, an episode on consent, and that's one of the things we talked about quite a lot. So I'll link to that in the show notes yes. as well for people, because okay, awesome. I personally think that's super useful and important. Yes. And I think people don't understand the difference between those two things. Or one person is negotiating exclusively, the other person is negotiating inclusively. Yes. And they don't have that conversation, and then it all goes quite badly wrong. Yes. So. You know, think, being able to tell somebody who's never really negotiated a rope scene before, okay, you know, this is basically the, the, the most surefire way to get your negotiation right. Just do inclusive negotiation and keep the list really short. Uh, and then, you know, and then this is how you check in with your nerves. These are, you know, if your thumb goes numb, it's bad. If your pinky goes numb, it's bad. If you lose any sort of feeling in any limb anywhere or you feel a sharp pinching or stabbing sensation, yada, 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 I want to know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the big thing is, you know, you got to, you, you just let somebody understand that speaking up is not a bad thing. Speaking up is how, you know, when you say like, I have a pinch here or my thumb's feeling funny. If you say that to me, the moment it starts to happen, I can fix the thing and we can have a two hour scene. If you don't say anything because you want this to like keep going and you're worried that I might stop, we end up with a 15 minute scene and an injury. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's on the top side. What what can yeah. um so say you've got a, a more experienced rope bottom or a moderately experienced rope bottom, okay. but they want to start doing heavier edge play as a bottom, so the kind of things that you're doing. What can they do to prepare themselves? Okay, um, let me think. Uh, I, the the big thing I would say uh, is to talk through with the top. Uh, how often they do the scene and what is going to be different than the bottom expects because I'm going to assume that if you're an experienced bottom and you're looking to try a new really, really edgy thing, that at that point you've been around long enough to know that you're not going to do this with somebody who's never tried it before. Because when the top is inexperienced and the bottom is inexperienced, you're setting yourselves up for a very, very risky night. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so let's let's presume that we have a bottom who's got a lot of experience with rope and negotiation, but they want to uh, do some heavy breath play, for example. I don't know. Um, you uh, and but and they they they've picked a partner that is well known for doing a lot of that kind of thing. Uh, in my opinion, the biggest thing you can do is whether it's the top you're tying with, or if you're going to find if you have found a top player, your primary partner you want to do this with is new. Hopefully the two of you have found somebody else who's a more experienced top uh, and talked through when scenes like this go sideways, how do they go sideways, how do we take care of that and steer things back on course, uh, what's the worst case outcome, and how do you basically first aid that, so to speak, whether literally or not, um, and what is, how do we know when things are going right and where will we end up with if things go well? All right. Those kinds of questions need to be asked before you agree to, for example, be waterboarded in rope. Yeah. At least throwing one up. So obviously, would... uh, EM, as someone who's quite visible on the scene and quite well known, uh, I guess you would have a lot of um, bottoms approaching you for the type of play that you do. How do you decide on a case-by-case basis if someone is a good fit for you? Oh, good question. Uh, okay, well, here's the thing. Uh, I am not going to do anything as heavy as what we're kind of sort of describing here with somebody I haven't played with. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I used to. Mm-hmm. And I no longer do that. 
So why? Um, what what happened? What made you change your mind? Uh, people not knowing what they were getting into. And I'm not talking about like you know deciding that afterwards and no, this wasn't consensual. I'm just talking about uh, uh, you know, like a mismatch of energies, a mismatch of expectations, uh, not understanding exactly how I like to work or me not not, not uh, expect thinking from meeting somebody and talking with somebody a little bit or talking to them online that they were going to be way into A, B, and C, and it turns out that that's not really their thing, and they're more into D, E, and F, but we figured this out after they've traveled halfway across the country for A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. Uh, more importantly, though, it's simply a trust thing. Uh, I can go much heavier, much longer, and do much more horrible things, which is what we're discussing, a, to- uh, a top and bottom pair that both want really horrible things, abnormally horrible things for most people's uh, mindset. Uh, if it's somebody you've played with before, you know how they react. Uh, you know how to read their body. You know how to negotiate with them. You know how they think. You know how they speak. You know their mannerisms. Uh, I, I tend to go heavier. If I'm going to do like a really, really, really heavy weekend or scene or whatever, uh, it's probably with somebody I've played with once or twice before, probably more two or three times. Um, and so I tend to play with somebody like you know, meet them at a con or something like that. Uh, or we've talked online and we finally meet in person at uh, Fire or Fondness of Dallas or one of the other like convention type things. Or I come to their town to teach and we talk and maybe we play with just some rope. And we negotiate very inclusively and we're very careful. And so maybe it's like you know, some hand-over-mouth breath play and some choking and I can step on them with my boots and I can kick them and I can tie them with rope and I can whip them. Something like that. Okay, that's our whole scene. We do that and I stick to something that is very obviously from their bodily bodily reactions, they are in they're they're very green on the entire scene. There's mm. I'm not pushing for any oranges and yellows here, you know? Um, I'm not pushing for any oranges and yellows in this first scene. And then afterwards, you know, we talk, we text after the weekend's over and we start talking about like, oh man, it would have been fun if that could have gone heavier. But the rule my my primary rule is I wanna leave the first week the first time I play with somebody, I always want to leave them wanting more. I don't want to figure out how far we can possibly go in the first scene, because if you do that ten times, at least one of those scenes, something went too far. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, thank good. you, thank you so much, EM, for sharing your thoughts with us. And I will remind our dear listeners that they can perv your profile on FetLife at uh, hyphen EM hyphen. Uh, if they want to learn more about you and your teachings and so on, where should they look? Uh, I'm active on Twitter. And I'm active on Instagram. On Instagram, it's em underscore underscore ties. And Twitter, I think, is em does rope. I'm almost positive. Okay. They're both linked on my life profile and the about me. Okay, that. and I'll fish them out and put them in the show notes also. Yeah, that works. And they're welcome to contact me, FetLife, Instagram, or Twitter. They all work. I'll answer anywhere. So that's all from us today at the Rope Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, so iTunes, Stitcher, and so on, and come friend us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. You can also find us easily at ropepodcast.com. We love questions from listeners, so drop us a message on Fet, and we'll try to answer you in an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.